Good morning, brothers and sisters. At the risk of stating the obvious, I'm ready to see you all again face to face. Each Sunday gets a bit more difficult, I think, but we trust the Lord is at work in these less than ideal circumstances. Our sermon text today is Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 15, what is known as the parable of the sower. But as you'll hear in a moment, a better title would be the parable of the soils. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. Let's give our attention to this important text from God's Word. Please follow along with me as I read. This is what the Holy Spirit says to the church, verse 1 of Luke chapter 8. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with Him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, And as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew, and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience." Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of the Lord given to us for our good. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for Your help today as the weeks wear on in this time of uncertainty in uh, the life of our nation and our church, Father, and even across the globe. We recognize the necessity, Father, of continuing to hear Your Word. And so while we cannot gather together, which is certainly Your will for the church, we do recognize, Father, that hearing Your Word still is vitally necessary for our lives. The Lord Jesus Himself tells us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So please, Father, open our hearts and minds today to hear the Word and to believe it, Father, and to hold it fast. I pray for grace, God, that I would speak things that are true and faithful, 
and that you would be near to your people and grant them discernment. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. When I was growing up in church, we used to sing a little song called, Be Careful Little Eyes. Did any of you sing that song growing up in church? I'm sure some of you did. It's a simple song, really, following an easy pattern. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little hands, what you do. I can still hear the voice of our choir director singing that song. I can still smell the musty old room on the third floor of the church building that had no air conditioning. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. If you change one word in that song, friends, you'll have a good summary of this passage in Luke chapter 8. The second verse of that little children's song says, Be careful, little ears, what you hear. But you can describe the theme of our passage as, Be careful, little ears, how you hear. That's the burden of Jesus' parable in Luke 8. The Lord Jesus is concerned that we pay attention to how we hear His message. He's concerned for how we respond to the Gospel. You see, the Lord Jesus understands that there are two types of hearing in this world. There is hearing that doesn't really hear. You listen, but it makes no difference in how you live your life. You hear, but you don't hear. And then there is the hearing that both hears and responds. You listen, and in response, you completely overhaul your life in light of God's Word. There are two types of hearing, Jesus says. So with apologies to that children's song, Jesus' burden is not simply for us to be careful what we hear. His concern goes deeper, even urging us to be careful how we hear how we respond to the Gospel. And you can see Jesus' concern in the flow of the passage, friends. Throughout the text, Luke highlights the need to hear faithfully, to hear correctly. It's all through the passage, beginning, middle, and end. Notice verse 1, where Jesus is described as proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. That's Jesus' ministry. He preaches which means that hearing is essential. Then look at the middle of the text, verse 8. How does Jesus conclude His parable? With a call to hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then notice the end of the text, verse 15. The good soil hears the Word and holds to it. So do you hear the emphasis throughout the passage, friends? Beginning, middle, and end. Jesus is concerned not just that we hear Him, but how we hear Him. How we respond to His Word. And that gives us a framework for understanding the passage. This emphasis on hearing highlights the importance of God's Word that Jesus proclaims. And that's how we can break down the text today with a focus on God's Word and our responsibility to hear it. So in terms of an outline, let me tell you where we're going. Verses 1-8 to summarize Jesus' preaching, and here we'll briefly consider the urgency of God's Word. Verses 9-10 and provide the purpose of Jesus' parables, and here we'll consider the sovereignty of God's Word. 
And then verses 11 to 15 interpret Jesus' parable. And from here, we'll consider the call of God's Word. So that's where we're going. Three truths related to God's Word in Jesus' ministry. And along the way, my hope is to connect each of those truths with how we ought to respond to His Word as well. Let's begin in verses 1-8 to with the urgency of God's Word. The urgency of God's Word. As the, past, uh, the chapter begins, Luke reminds us that preaching was at the heart of Jesus' ministry. You see it right away. Verse 1, Jesus is proclaiming and bringing the good news of the Kingdom of God. So what is the central activity of Jesus' life at this point? It's preaching. It's proclaiming far and wide the good news of the Kingdom. Yes, Jesus also performs many miracles, but remember friends, Jesus' miracles confirm His message. The miracles are the proof of what Jesus preaches. That the Kingdom of God is coming. That God's redemptive rule is being established. And that God is bringing to pass all of the Old Testament promises of salvation and restoration and every good thing. You see, this is central to Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 8. With the cross still to come, Jesus devotes Himself to preaching the good news. And Luke goes on to describe those who have responded to Jesus' preaching. In verse 1, the twelve disciples are with Jesus, as you might expect. But then verses 2 and 3 describe a number of women who are also accompanying Jesus. These women come from a wide range of backgrounds. There is Mary Magdalene, whom Jesus delivered from a host of evil spirits, which makes her very likely. And then there is Joanna, whose husband works in Herod's palace. So she probably comes from higher social standing. So high class and outcasts, all types are following Jesus and responding to His Word. And what's more, these women provide financial support for Jesus' ministry. It was common in Jesus' day for wealthy women to support rabbis, but these women seem to go beyond that common practice. Their lives are devoted to the Lord. Both Mary and Joanna go to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday. You may remember Luke 24. So these women are not mere check writers. They're devoted followers. And their lives exemplify true faith. In fact, don't miss how Luke is piling up the examples of faith across the last two chapters do you see the examples, friends? There's the centurion, chapter 7, verse 9. There's the forgiven woman, chapter 7, verse 50. And now Mary and Joanna and Susanna and others, chapter 8. So here we have these little glimpses of what it means to follow the Lord. The Gospel is calling all sorts of people to follow Christ. Men and women, rich and poor, respected and outcast. The Word is reaching to all. But as we come to verse 4, Luke moves from examples of faith to an example of Jesus' preaching. And the example highlights Jesus' use of parables. In this passage specifically, Luke recounts the parable of the soils, as we should call it. Now, what makes this parable unique at this point 
is that Jesus uses it precisely as the crowds are growing in connection with His ministry. Do you see it there in verse 4? A great crowd is gathering and people from town after town after town are coming to Jesus. This is the time for maximum impact. And in response to that growing crowd, Jesus tells a parable. That's striking, friends. The crowds are getting bigger, but instead of trying to maximize His impact, Jesus tells a story. He tells a parable. And not just any parable. This parable confronts the growing crowd with the need to hear the Word of God carefully. Notice the details, verses 5-8. to Jesus pictures a sower walking the paths through His field, and as the sower walks, He scatters the seed. But the seed falls on various kinds of soil. There is the soil along the path, which gets trampled down and eaten by birds. There's the rocky soil that lacks the conditions for growth. There's the soil among the thorns, where the seed is choked out by hostile plants. And last of all, there's the good, rich, dark soil where the seed takes root and grows and brings forth mature fruit. So the sower scatters across a broad field, across a great area, but only one soil bears fruit to the end. Now we're going to look at the parable's interpretation in a moment, but for now, I want to reiterate to you Jesus' laser-like focus on hearing the Word carefully. Notice the end of verse 8. As Jesus said these things, He called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Friends, do you see how verse 8 is a call for the crowd to be careful at this point? To examine themselves and be careful how they hear? Jesus is saying, it's not enough for you to flock to Me, perhaps to see a miracle or to see a healing. No, what's urgent and essential is how you hear the Word. Are you hearing carefully? That's Jesus' concern. And so, friends, I want to stress to you the urgency that comes every time we encounter the Word of God. People may hear, but do they hear? You may hear, but do you hear? You see, it's urgent. It's urgent, friends. The Word of God was central to the ministry of the Lord Jesus, and that means even when the crowds seem to be exploding in excitement, Jesus returns to this laser-like focus, this simple but urgent question, do you have ears to hear? Friend, you may not know Christ today. You may not be a Christian. You may not be trusting in the Lord Jesus for the salvation of your soul and believing that His death and resurrection was on your behalf. You may not be a Christian today. And if so, the most urgent thing for you to consider is will you hear the Word of God with ears of faith? It is only by hearing the Word of God with ears of faith that you will be saved. There's urgency, friend. There's urgency when we encounter the Word of God. And that urgency leads us into our second truth. The parable, as we just noted, is clear enough on the surface, but it's also clear that Jesus is getting at something more. That's actually how parables work, friends. They are simple stories that make a deeper point. They're simple stories that invite deeper reflection. 
In other words, Jesus uses this parable on purpose to try to provoke the crowd to think more deeply. He's not consent, he's not content with a great mass of people. He wants disciples who hear. And so, following Jesus' lead, the twelve disciples ask the natural question, what does this mean, Jesus? We're in verses 9 and 10, and here we find the second truth, the sovereignty of God's Word. The sovereignty of God's Word. So the disciples ask for insight on the parable of the soils. But before explaining the details, Jesus actually backs up a step and He gives them the purpose for using parables in the first place. He's going to explain this parable in a minute, but for now, He wants them to understand what the parables are about just overall. The details are important, but there's a bigger truth at work that the disciples need to understand. And so, Jesus points out two purposes at work in His parables. They're easy to remember. Under God's sovereignty, parables both reveal and conceal. They both reveal and they conceal. This is key, friends. As the sovereign Lord of all people, God uses, it, God uses His Word, including parables, to reveal the truth, but also to conceal. Notice how Jesus explains this dual purpose of the parables. First of all, Jesus emphasizes that understanding God's kingdom comes only by revelation. Notice verse 10. Jesus said, to you, He's speaking to the twelve disciples here, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Friends, that's the language of revelation. The secrets of the kingdom belong to the triune God. And these secrets or mysteries, as the Apostle Paul calls them, are beyond human understanding. To know these mysteries, they have to be revealed to you. Revealed by whom, you ask? Well, the one to whom the secrets belong. By God Himself. And that's what Jesus urges the disciples to see. By His sovereign grace, God has and He will reveal His purposes to Jesus' disciples. God will open their ears, you might say, so that the disciples hear and hear what God is doing in and through Jesus. When will this revelation happen for them? Well, it's happening over time. Little by little, the disciples are seeing more of what God is doing in Jesus. And the culmination, of course, we know, will come after Jesus' resurrection when God pours out the Holy Spirit through the risen Christ. But the point here in Luke chapter 8 is that the disciples are recipients of revelation. That's the point. They're, they're recipients of revelation. And understand, friends, that revelation is of grace and nothing but grace. You've got to get this right. The disciples are not smart enough to figure out the secrets of the kingdom. And they have not earned the privilege of receiving the mysteries of God. Not at all. Instead, God in His sovereign grace has given, He has revealed these things to the twelve. You see, that's part of the purpose for Jesus' parables. They highlight the need for revelation. God has allowed the disciples to see, or to use the language of this text, He's allowed them to hear. And that revelation is a work of grace. But there's another side to revelation, isn't there? If the truth of the kingdom must be revealed, might it also be 
concealed? Yes, Jesus says. And that's where he goes in the rest of verse 10. He cites a passage from the Old Testament that speaks to God's sovereign purpose in His Word. Notice the rest of verse 10. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now Jesus quotes here from Isaiah chapter 6. And if you remember Isaiah's life, then you'll know that Isaiah 6 is an important moment in the prophet's ministry. It was in Isaiah 6 that God called the prophet, and it was also in Isaiah 6 that God commissioned the prophet. He gave him his ministry. And it's that commission that Jesus quotes here. But if you remember again from Isaiah's life, his commission was surprising. God would use Isaiah's preaching as an instrument of judgment. Isaiah would preach the truth, but Israel would not believe it. Their hearts were hard. And here's the key, friends. Here's the connection. Isaiah's preaching would expose that hardness and deepen it. It's a striking display of sovereignty. Through Isaiah, God did two things. He exposed the people's unbelief, and through the exposure, He brought the judgment of further hardness of heart. So do you see why I use the word conceal? When Isaiah preached, the people heard the truth, but they didn't hear it. And Isaiah's preaching was one of the means God used to bring that judgment to pass. Now, back to Luke chapter 8, and make the connection with the Lord Jesus. Remember, a good portion of people in Jesus' day did not believe His message. They did not embrace the truth. And this included even the religious leadership of the nation of Israel. And the parables, Jesus is saying, are God's judgment on those people. In His sovereignty, God uses the parables to expose their hard hearts and then to bring about the consequence of that unbelief, which is more unbelief. And in that sense, friends, the parables conceal the secrets of the kingdom of God. They are instruments of God's sovereignty through which He accomplishes His will. Friends, I know this is heavy, but this is also consistent with how God has worked down through history. Do you remember Pharaoh's hardness of heart in the book of Exodus? How he refused to let the people of Israel go? Do you remember that? Well, the book of Exodus tells us that Pharaoh certainly hardened his own heart. That's true. But did you know that before Pharaoh hardened his heart, God said that He would harden Pharaoh's heart? Exodus 4.21, in fact. God declared that He would harden Pharaoh's heart. But here's my point. How did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Through the proclamation of God's Word with Moses. Do you see it? As Moses proclaimed the truth to Pharaoh that there is only one God and that Israel is His Son and therefore let My people go. As Moses proclaimed that Word, that proclamation exposed Pharaoh's unbelief so that Pharaoh's heart was further hardened. It's inescapable, brothers and sisters. It's, it's divine sovereignty 
worked out through the Word of God. And what Jesus is saying in verse 10 is that His ministry has a similar effect. His ministry has the same kind of purpose. Through the Word, God sovereignly reveals His truth to His people and through that same Word, God sovereignly enacts judgment on those who will not believe. Now, there are a number of takeaways for us at this point. A number of points that we could reflect upon that would be fruitful. We could talk about how God's sovereignty and human freedom are absolutely compatible with one another. And they are. That's important. We could talk about how God uses His Word to expose the true nature of a person's heart. There's some really significant reflections on that too. Both of those would be fruitful discussions. But brothers and sisters, what I want you to see today is the stunning reality of grace that should overwhelm each of our hearts this morning. Before we get into a discussion of how divine sovereignty works in the world, we should first stop and marvel at the grace we have received as believers in Jesus Christ. If you just want to talk about how sovereignty works, then you may miss the grace at work in that sovereignty in your own life. This is the hands-on, make-a-difference-right-now-today application for a Christian from verse 10. And it's what I want you to dwell on with me for just a minute. If you're a Christian today, if you both understand and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the King over God's kingdom, that He shed His blood to atone for His people, that His resurrection is the beginning of the new creation, and that His return is coming soon. Friends, if you believe that this morning, you do so because of grace. Whatever insight you have is by grace. Whatever insight you gain is by grace. What do you have that you did not receive, Paul says? Receive from whom? From God. And so, there should be this deep undercurrent of gratitude and worship and love that marks every day of the Christian life. Listen, I know that some days are harder than other days. Especially when we're living in times like today. And I'm not telling you to walk around with a Pollyanna, everything is going to be fine kind of attitude. It's not what I'm saying. But I am saying, friends, that on every day, even in the middle of a pandemic, on every day, grace is present and working in the life of a Christian. To know Christ is grace. To serve Christ is grace. To have even an inkling of an appetite for the Word of God is grace. To lisp and stammer along in prayer is grace. To have even the faintest glimmer of faith in the Gospel is grace. If you're a Christian, what God has given you is grace upon grace. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the Kingdom of God. And it's all of grace. And here's the takeaway, brothers and sisters. Here's the food for your faith today. God's grace never falls short. God always finishes what He starts by grace. So if you believe this morning, then verse 10 is telling you that grace gave you life, grace sustains your life, and grace will finish your life in the presence of God. 
God is absolutely sovereign. Make no bones about it. What He says goes. He both saves and condemns according to His will. He is absolutely sovereign. His sovereignty is expressed through His Word. And therefore, brothers and sisters, there is reason for gratitude and worship and joy and love every day because every day we live and believe and stand by grace. That's the second takeaway. The second truth from God's words. The sovereignty of His Word. And so we come at last to the interpretation of the parable. Verses 11-15. to We might go a little long this morning, but since you're listening in the comfort of your living room, you can just refresh the coffee and we'll keep going. Verses 11-15 to give us the third and final truth. It's the call of God's Word. The call of God's Word. In verse 11, Jesus confirms what we've been saying throughout. The parable is about hearing the Word of God. Notice in verse 11 that the sower's seed is the Word, Jesus says. And then in verse 12, Jesus begins to explain each type of soil. Each type of soil represents a different response to the Word of God culminating in the good soil that faithfully hears the Word and holds fast to it. So, you can think then of each soil as giving us a different exhortation as to how we should hear. The first three are warnings, and the final soil, the good soil, is the example that we're intended to follow. Now, before we look at the types of soil, I want to stress that Jesus' point is not to say that a person progresses through the different types of soil until he arrives at the good one. It's not that you're first the soil along the path and then the rocky soil and then the thorny soil and then finally you make it to be the good soil. That is not Jesus' point at all. Remember what we said at the outset. Jesus is concerned with how we hear. And parables are simple pictures that provoke deeper reflection. So through the parable, there's four soils because Jesus wants you to examine your life. He wants you to think about how you're hearing the Word. And the value of the parable is that it pictures the many different dangers that threaten the hearing of faith. So let's look briefly at each type of soil and let's focus on how each type calls us to hear the Word of God. The first soil is along the path and the exhortation is this. Hear the Word because a spiritual battle is raging. Hear the Word because a spiritual battle is raging. Jesus says the soil along the path represents those who hear the Word only to have the devil come and snatch the Word away before it takes root. Now, if that sounds alarming to you, friends, that's because Jesus means it to be. The devil is real brothers and sisters. And he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And what the devil is hungry for the most is faith in God's Word. You see, the devil is sinister, but he also understands the truth. He understands that faith springs from the Word of God. Which is why he's hungry to devour the seed of the Word. Ask yourself, why doesn't he just devour you? Because by devouring the seed, he can devour you. So do you see the spiritual stakes at play in hearing the Word of God, friends? 
the devil loves to snatch the Word away. And that means every time you open the Bible, every time you gather with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are pushing back against the devil's schemes. Think about that, friends. That adds a new depth to your morning Bible reading, doesn't it? You're not simply reading words on a page. You are by faith fighting against the evil one. So read, brothers and sisters, and carry on the fight. That's the first exhortation. Hear God's Word because a spiritual battle is raging. The second exhortation from the rocky soil. Hear the Word because perseverance is vital. Hear the Word because perseverance is vital. The rocky soil, Jesus says, hears the Word initially and even displays some joy in receiving it. But over time, as hardships arise, this person falls away from believing the Word. Now, that's not to say this person was a Christian and then he lost his salvation. That's not at all what Scripture teaches. Just one text to remind you, John 6. Jesus says, this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me. So Jesus keeps His people, friends, and He keeps them to the end. But the rocky soil doesn't trust Jesus. And this person's falling away reveals that he didn't truly believe in the first place. He falls away because there's no root of true faith in his heart. This is a good reminder that true faith perseveres to the end. It is the mark of true faith. It perseveres to the end. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Saving faith believes by grace and saving faith keeps believing by grace. We'll come back to this need for perseverance with the good soil, but for now, that's the second exhortation. Hear the Word because perseverance is vital. Third exhortation from the soil with thorns. Hear the Word because the world chokes out faith. Hear the Word because the world chokes out faith. In this soil, the seed of the Word is choked out by worldly concerns. This is striking to me, friends. The thorns in verse 14 are not necessarily immoral things. Did you see that? In fact, the thorns in verse 14 can often be good gifts from God. Money, provision, pleasure even. On their own, these things can be good gifts. But when these things move from good gifts to ultimate idols, they suck up all the life in the soil of your heart. And there's nothing left to nourish faith in God's Word. So it's a good reminder, brothers and sisters, we need to be vigilant against wickedness and immorality, but we also need to be vigilant against allowing good things to become ultimate things. That's when faith gets choked out, Jesus says. That's the third exhortation. Hear the Word because the world often works against faith. And so that brings us to the final exhortation from the good soil, verse 15. This is the culmination The good soil exhorts us to hear the Word and keep on hearing. Hear the Word and keep on hearing. 
Notice the ongoing tone of verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the Word hold it fast in an honest and good heart. Friends, there's a world of wisdom here from the Lord Jesus. Notice that the good soil hears the Word and holds it fast, Jesus tells us. So picture a a white-knuckled grip on something precious to you. When my son Sam was little, we were playing in the snow one winter and Sam bolted into the street just as a car was sliding down the road. And I, of course, raced to grab him. And as, as we walked back to the yard, my knuckles were white on his little hand. Why? Because he's precious to me. And I was going to hold fast to my son. You see, that's something of what Jesus has in view here. The Word of God is precious to the Christian. And we hold to it with that white-knuckled grip of faith. And when we live with that kind of grip on God's Word, friends, something remarkable happens. A remarkable work of grace occurs. We find over time that it is actually God's Word that is keeping a hold of us even as we hold fast to that Word. It's one of the more incredible aspects of the Christian life, brothers and sisters. Faith finds its life in and through God's Word. And the Word of God is of such a power that it actually strengthens our grip as we hold fast. So that in the end, our faith is firm, not because of us, but because of the Word in which we believe. The Word of God strengthens the very faith that it calls us to display. This is the kindness of God, friends, that He would call us to hold on to the very thing that will hold on to us to the very end. It's the kindness of God. And it's also an encouragement to every Christian this morning. Hold fast to the Word, remembering that through the Word, God is holding fast to you. Still, the grace continues. Over time, as we hold to the Word that holds to us, Jesus says our lives bear fruit. Friends, I don't know that I've read anything more hopeful in the Bible in the last several weeks than the last line of verse 15. The good soil holds fast to the Word with an honest and good heart, and here it is, and bears fruit with patience. Friends, patience is the quality of bearing up under pressure. And it's a close spiritual cousin of hope. The good soil believes God's Word with a hopeful heart, remembering who God is and what He has promised to those who believe. And that's what I want to stress here, brothers and sisters, to you as we come to a close. Spiritual fruit requires patience. In fact, those are the two ingredients. Those are the only two ingredients in your life for bearing spiritual fruit. God's Word and persevering patience. I hope you hear the encouragement there, brothers and sisters. One of my favorite theologians has said that God is doing 10,000 things in your life right now and you're aware of three of them. Part of growing in godliness is learning to wait with patience. Let me say that again because I'm still trying to learn it. Part of growing in godliness is learning to wait with patience 
for the fruit God has promised to bear in your life. You may think the Lord is doing nothing in your life right now. But that's simply not true, friends. His work takes time. Just like the farmer's harvest comes about only in time. Only in the right season. His work takes time. So trust Him with patience. Hold to the Word and keep holding to it. And listen to me. Don't ever underestimate the slow, steady progress of grace. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 15. So so how should we understand the Lord's ministry? The crowds are growing, but how does Jesus respond? Well, His focus is not on the size of the crowds, but on the soil of our hearts. The kingdom of God is coming, just as sure as the good soil will bear fruit in time. So the question before us is not so much with Jesus or the impact of His ministry. No, the question is for those who hear. Be careful, little ears, how you hear. And so I'll end, friends, by simply asking you, how are you hearing the Word of God? Are you hearing it with patience? I pray that you are. I pray that we all are. And I trust that in the Lord's time, He will bring a harvest of good fruit in your life, in my life, and in the life of our church. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word that holds fast to us, Father, and strengthens our faith. Give us grace to hear the Word as we ought, with ears of faith, with perseverance, with patience, trusting that You will bear fruit in Your time. Please encourage us this week, God. And help us also, Father, to be quick to encourage one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.